So welcome to another great podcast session. I'm Shivani Mutiala. With advancing technology, the services offered by the technological companies have also been, you know, constantly increasing day by day. And this is in order to meet the requirements of their clients. And many companies are also coming up with new and unique ideas to keep up the pace in the market. And today we are going to know more about R3, which is a leading provider of enterprise technology and services. In the words of Richard Brown. So why late? Let's welcome our speaker for the day, Richard Brown, who is a chief technology. officer at Arthri. Hi Richard, how are you doing? Hi Shivani, I'm great and, and thanks so much for having me on. It's pleasure, you know, having you on the show. So, uh before we dive deep into the topic, we would like to know uh you know what Arthri is all about. Yeah, sure. So, um as you described that uh, the 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 during the introduction, Arthri is a is a software company. Um but the thing that i think makes us particularly interesting and different is that that isn't how we began so people know us today as as the as the firm behind the um the world's um, most widely deployed enterprise blockchain product corda um and the firm behind a um a a fast growing confidential computing product conclave that we'll come on to talk about um so that's how we're known today but the the thing i find interesting in addition to that is we didn't begin like i say as a software firm we began actually as a consortium of banks which kind of like when you think about it now sounds a bit sounds a bit odd but we began as um as a as a collection of of um, as, as a firm working with a collection of banks back in 2015 you know it seems so long ago now um really focused on trying to figure out you know what does this blockchain thing mean is it relevant to financial services institutions and if it is in what way is it a threat is it an opportunity is it both So, so we began as this collaborative effort, figuring out you know what the relevance of that new technology might be to financial services, and in doing so, we discovered that we thought there was huge amounts of opportunity, which we can come on to talk about. There was a huge amount of um, there's certain threats that the institutions needed to 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 worry about, but we also discovered that the world needed a specific you know, built from the ground up platform to address those opportunities, and so we started with the help of our um, help of our institutions. designing a platform that became Corda and then over time you know, um Corda became the heart of of what we did and and so we became what we are now which is a is 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 a financial so is is a software firm um focused on um regulated markets um and with a real focus on technology that can enhance trust between different organizations which is how we think about ourselves now and you know that's really very interesting and happy to know about artri and could you brief our listeners you know what are the specializations and unique services that artri offers yeah so um so i guess maybe if i start with our products and then there's then the the, the services that sit around them so so at, at the heart of of our 3 is the the enterprise blockchain platform that that we that we built to address the needs of 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 firms primarily in regulated markets and that's called corda um corda corda is is um is an open core product so the core code base is open source and then we have um a a, a free distribution uh, 
which we call the community edition, and, and we have an enterprise sort of a commercial distribution. And Corda is used by firms. It's widely deployed. You know, I think there are like, you know, literally hundreds of, of deployments of, of Corda solutions around the world. And Corda is used to solve problems that that, that afflict whole markets. Uh, so, so you often have a situation where you know, multiple firms in a market, they may compete, but often they collaborate as well. And they need to exchange data securely, reliably, quickly, and know that the data that each of them is looking at is, is the same and it's correct. You know, if I lend you some money, you know, we, we need to know that the amount I think you've lent me is the amount you think you've borrowed, or vice versa, if you lend that money to me. And Corda is all about allowing your participants in markets to stay in sync and, 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 and become in sync to start with. So Corda, Corda is a blockchain platform. It has an, a, an advanced smart contract engine. It has an advanced workflow engine that allows data reliably to move and synchronize between organizations. Um, and we provide a collection of, of services and, and applications around that. So, um, so we're doing a huge amount of work with uh, central banks to, to, um, to apply this technology to the problem of central bank digital currencies, um, working with um, large firms for the issuance of digital assets. Um, and, and we also work with um, you know, firms. There's a big deployment in Italy for example, of, with Corda, using it in effect to synchronize all the bank accounts in Italy to make sure all the banks are in sync about who owns, you know, who, who has which money and you know, who does it belong to. Um, so that's, that's Corda. And then we have, a, you know, we have a team who help people um, deploy it. And then our, our our newer product, and this is the one that is my current um, focus, is, is Conclave. And this is also is also related to digital trust. So Conclave is all about making sure you can, so Corda is all about making sure you can trust the information you're looking at and that you can transact with trust with your, your counterparts. Conclave solves a related but slightly different problem, which is sometimes, you know, in a market, you, know, you, you have some data and your competitors have some data or maybe your customers have some data and you absolutely do not want to. You cannot share it with each other. It's private. It's confidential. But some, sometimes you need it to be brought together to be able to actually do business. You know, if, you know, if I want to buy something, I need to find somebody who wants to sell. You know, we need to find each other. And yet you shouldn't know how much I'm willing to pay and I shouldn't know how much you're willing to sell for. So sometimes you need to be able to process data without the person processing it being able to see what's happening. You have to be able to trust that your data is only going to be used for one thing and not something else. Um, and that's what Conclave is for. So NetNet R3 is all about increasing the levels of trust between organizations, you know, creating this concept of digital trust, if you like. Um, and it, and, and when we apply it in two different ways, one is about synchronizing data and making it easier for firms to cooperate and trade with each other. And that's Corda. And one of them is about allowing you to, to process data or have your process, have your data processed by somebody else with complete trust that it won't be misused. Amazing. And, uh, you know, that actually sounds very interesting. And, you know, as a chief technology officer, what are your rules and contributions? That's a really interesting one because you know my role has evolved over the time since I've been at R three. So I've I haven't been at R three since the very very start, but I've been here since almost the start. Um, and over that time, I guess my role has probably changed two or three times. So I began as the leader of what we called the architecture working group. So so, so when I said you know we used to be this this collaborative consortium of of, of banks trying to you know, work together to figure out what the opportunities are in, in 
the blockchain space, you know, I led the the technical working groups to explore those topics, and that and, and that led to the the requirements and the design um, for Corda. Um, I, and, and and then I went on to to lead the team that, that designed and built Corda and brought it to market. So I wasn't the one who who um, who wrote the detailed specification or, or wrote the code. You know, I, I don't pretend that I'm good enough to do that. But I led the team that did it and and, and brought Corda to market. Um, and then more recently, um, I've left that product in the safe hands of the team who now runs that business. Um, and I'm now trying to do the, the same trick again, if you like, with the, with our second uh, major product line, Conclave, where I lead the team that has designed that and brought it to market. And now my real focus, and this is a really exciting time for the product, is now it's in market. You know, my job is to is almost like is almost on the product side, on the product side of technology, looking at what customers are using it for. You know, where does it have gaps? Where do we need to extend it? And then trying to work with the engineers to figure out you know, where do we take it next? What changes do we make? What new features do we add? But doing it all in a, in a, in a, in a way where we can get the, the product shipped rapidly so we can get feedback and we can solve customer problems. So it's all about, you know, we'd like to do everything, but we can only do some things. And I find the role of the CTO in that sense is being able to, to bridge that gap because you have to balance on one hand what the market and the sales team ask for, but you also have to know, have the knowledge of what's actually feasible and deliverable. And, and having both of those in your head at the same time is, you know, it's, it's stressful, but also exciting. So yes, yeah, so I've done quite a few roles and, and I guess that's the the nature of life in that the CTO job title actually covers a wide range of things. Happy to know about your roles and responsibilities. And, you know, as people and companies are uh, generating huge amounts of data nowadays, there is also concern about, you know, the data security in everybody's mind. So what do you think are the pressing issues that are surrounded around it? So this this one is fascinating because there are there are the usual problems around data security that we all know and you, and you you touched on some of them. You know, every firm is grappling with the fact that they have just so much of it. So do they know where it is? Do they know which employees have access? You know, can they? Can they find it? Can they make sure it's, it's not being sort of misused? Um, you know, do they have the right people who actually understand how to analyze it? So it's not necessarily a security question there. It's just about can you exploit it in the right way and in, the, and in a legitimate way? But you then need the right people to be able to, to, to give you the confidence as a leader that it actually is being protected. But what I find is, 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 is become, has become really interesting in, in, the last, in the last couple of years is that the world has woken up to the fact that there is a gaping hole in computer security that we've just accepted for the last 20 years and not even thought about. Um, and it's as follows. Think about, so I'm going to talk about your people's personal lives first, and then we'll switch switch to the business domain. You know, think about you know, just your day-to-day life, my day-to-day life. You, you log on to your favorite social network. You, know, you log in and you share your data with the social network. You know, I won't name them, but I guess we know which ones we're talking about. Um, and um, and we, you know, we share our life, life, life story with them, all our information. And then we read in the press, we see politicians getting very angry that these big social media, these big social media platforms, they're misusing your data, they're selling your data, they're exploiting your data. And and the thing we, we never ask ourselves is, how can they do that? So, so not why are they doing it or are they doing it, but why does the technology allow them? Because if you think about when you go to your web browser, there's a, there's a little padlock at the top of the screen. And I thought that padlock means you're secure. But if you're secure, why is it that the social media networks can allegedly misuse your data? And this is the gaping hole in in IT security that I talk about. Because, of course, that little padlock in your browser 
doesn't mean you're secure. It means your data is securely transported from you to the social media site and back again, or it's securely transported from you to your bank, or if you're an institution, from you to another institution. But it says absolutely nothing at all about what that institution can do with the data once they've received it. It's as if we spend all this time and effort putting our data in armored trucks, you know, these virtual armored trucks, protecting the data as it moves from one firm to another or from one individual to another. And then as soon as it arrives at the other end, you know, we just place it in, you know, in the parking lot of whichever company has received it and say, do whatever you like. You know, we'll trust you not to misuse it. You know, we've got a contract with you. There's a law that protects you, but it's not the tech technology team's problem to protect that data anymore. And that kind of seems nuts. And, and, and the reason we accept it is until recently, there was no technological solution. You know, when you share data with somebody else's computer, they own that computer, they can do what they like with it. So the thing that really interests me, and it, it's why we've been in, in R3's case, it's why we've built Conclave is it doesn't need to be that way. It turns out that the hardware manufacturers, you know, firms like Intel, AMD, ARM, you know, the big chip designers and manufacturers, they have a solution to this. I won't go into too much detail now, but they call them, the technical term is trusted execution environments, TEEs. These things allow you to do the following. They allow you to find out in advance what somebody's going to do with your information and in, find out in a way that you can believe and then only if you are happy with that, do you send the information to them. That exists. Um, and and it, if it was being used on a global basis, you wouldn't have to worry about what happens when you share your data with some other firm because you'd already know. Um, the problem is it isn't widely deployed because it's too hard to use. Um, and that's why, frankly, that, you know, that's why um, we built Conclave because the underlying technology exists but somebody needed to make it easy to use and accessible to the people who need it, who are the, the IT administrators, the chief data officers, the security teams and the businesses who actually deliver these services. Um, and so that's why that's why we, we've built Conclave. But I know that was a long answer, but the net net is there are lots of problems in computer security. But the one we seem to have completely overlooked for the last 20 years is we send data to other firms and don't put any technological control over what they can do with it. And my message is, it doesn't need to be that way. The technology to fix that problem exists. It just has to be made easy to use. And if you like, that's my mission. Rightly pointed about uh, all the you know data security concerns. And you know, do you think can they impact individuals and organizations to a, a very large extent? Um, yeah. So. So I th let's imagine what happens today. So if I am a, um, well, let me give you an example from, from the insurance industry. So right now, and, and this may seem mad, but there are insurance companies in some countries, and I don't know, um, I, 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 I don't know um, all the countries, but certainly some of the ones in Europe, they don't know if their customers also have policies with other insurance companies for the same for the same for the same item so i could take out insurance for a car with one insurer and i could take out insurance for the same car with a different insurer and in some countries in europe they wouldn't know that and you might say well why does that matter well it matters because if that customer is a criminal what they could do is they could then go and crash that car and then claim for a new car from both insurers and of course, if they can do it with two, they could do it with 10. So they could make a massive profit by fraudulently claiming for the same accident and the same car with multiple insurers. 
And the reason the insurers don't know is because data protection rules sometimes prevent them from sharing that information because it would breach their customers' privacy. It would be a violation of the rights of all the honest customers. So they're in this difficult situation where they would love to know, each insurer would love to share its its claims information and its policy information with all its competitors to spot these fraudulent people. But there's a data protection thing for the individual. And of course, the insurers, they just want, the only thing they want to know is, are there any duplicate claims? They don't want the other insurers knowing who their customers are in general. They don't want them to know whether they're, they're good underwriters or bad underwriters. They, 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 they need to share these data sets to find the matches, to find the duplicates, but they don't want their competitors to learn anything else. It's a real problem. And they, because they can't solve that today, they have to rely on other techniques, um, you know, such as sort of, you know, sort of like, you know, behavioral patterns and, you know, investigators, and it's all expensive and messy. But imagine if when they sent this information to the matching service, they knew for sure that the only thing that could happen is that the duplicate claims, those fraudulent claims could be found, but nothing else could be done with that data. No human could look at it. Nobody could exfiltrate the data. The only thing you can do is spot the patterns and send them back. If the insurers knew that was the case, they could solve this this fraud problem immediately. It's a really simple solution, but they just need to know that the only thing that will happen to their sensitive data when they send it to that, that third party firm, they need to know the only thing that can happen to it is looking for those duplicate claims. So, so to, so to answer your question, you know, could this t- have an impact for individuals and companies? The answer is yes. I've just given you an example for companies. Um, but it, it's, it's sort of like this, this light bulb moment for me a couple of years ago. If I know what's going to happen to the data I send to another firm and I know they can't tamper with it, they can't see it, all they can do is execute the algorithm they promised to execute. The amount of opportunities you can now pursue, the fraud you can uncover, the, the services you can give to clients that you couldn't previously do, the, the, it becomes, it's, it's unimaginable. There's a whole world of opportunity there based on this idea of knowing what will happen to your information when you send it somewhere else. Thanks, Richard, for your you know, insightful examples. And uh, yeah, uh, it is, uh, you know, uh, indeed data security matters, you know, and it really impacts a lot. So, and since R3 is a technological company, uh, how is it employing artificial intelligence or big data or cloud, or even for that matter, analytics, uh, you know, adding value to its clients? So that's a really good one. So, um, so I think about this in terms of in, in two ways. One is how are we using it ourselves, as you say, to give a better service to our customers or, or run ourselves better. And then there's the question of how are we helping you know, our customers um, gain benefits. So one really um, you know, one really simple internal example. Um, you know, in our sales organization, like every other organization, you know, we've got a sales team. That means they've got um, they have like you know CRM system to manage our customers and our prospects. You know, manage our opportunities um, you know, one of the tools we use there uses um, uses machine learning and and, 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 you know, and and data from previous years to help us predict um, you know what proportion of our opportunities at different stages of the cycle or different stages of progression are likely to close and when and at what value so we use it to help us with our forecasting it's you know, it, and and the interesting thing is and this is the same with all types of technology 
I'm sure most people in the firm don't even realize we're using it. You know, they just see the benefits of, of improved forecasting um, and, and all good technologies melt into the background. And, and, and so it, it should be for these ones. Um, with respect to cloud, um, we're pretty much a 100% cloud company. We have very, very, very little infrastructure of our own. Pretty much all our infrastructure is either, um, we either use platform as a service, services from you know, best of breed firms, um, software as a service rather for best of breed firms, or we run infrastructure in things like Microsoft Azure. Um, we do have a very small amount of on-site infrastructure, but, but um, only where we need to. With respect to our clients, the um, if I go back to this confidential computing, this trusted execution concept, um, the thing that one of the things our clients say is they they understand machine learning. They're trying to um, they're trying they're trying to use, they're using it to to improve how they operate and how they how they serve their clients. But one of the problems and one of the constraints is. For your models to be effective, they have to be trained on very high quality, rich data sets. But those data sets are often owned or controlled by third parties. And those third parties have exactly the fear I talked about earlier, which is if you share your data with somebody, they might promise they're only going to use it to train their models and not for any other reason. But how do you know, you know when you share that data set, how do you know it won't be used for anything else? Um, today, there are no widely deployed technological protections. And as a result, you know, data that could be shared to add value to everybody remains in silos, doesn't get shared. Um, what we demonstrated with the last release of Conclave, and it's actually in our documentation and samples, is how you can train machine learning models with, uh, with, um, with, with um, training data, where you can prove to the submitter of that training data that it cannot be used for anything else. So they can get paid for their data, they can get rewarded for it in some way, yet they can remain completely safe in the knowledge that it won't be misused because it's only going to be used to train that model. So, um, so for me, it all comes back to this idea of you know, how can we extend trust beyond our boundaries to give people confidence about how their data will be used. Uh, happy to know about you know how R3 is actually uh, enhancing the new technology and its trends and as well as contributing to its clients' to a large extent. And uh, as you also you know, mentioned about cloud, uh, could you elaborate on how cloud computing can help in bridging the gap, you know, the security gaps? Yeah, I guess there's a few. So the, so I think many, so I, so I don't, you know, I, you know, I, 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 um, I, I guess, you know, I, I don't, I don't sell cloud computing. So I guess I can, I can speak freely because, um, you know, I, I, I don't have, I don't, I don't have any, um, any dogs in this fight. But what I find is, what I find interesting is um, many organizations, even today, are worried about um, moving their workloads to the cloud or or um, or using cloud services because they're worried about what happens. They're worried about two things. They're worried one about what happens if the cloud provider themselves is malicious or tries to steal their data or tries to compete with them or has a rogue employee, um, and they're also worried about what happens if the cloud vendor gets hacked. Now, the latter one I kind of think of as you know, of course it can happen and it happens from time to time. But you know, if you're an IT manager in an organization today, if you believe you can hire better security engineers and spend more money on security than Google, Amazon, or Microsoft can, um, you, I think you're in a fantasy land. You know, you know, they may still get they may, may still get attacked from time to time, but the chances of somebody else doing better seems very very low to me. So so I so I, so I don't find the the um, the arguments against cloud on a security um, on a security basis at all convincing. 
but there is still a residual risk. You know, computers can get hacked, employees can go rogue. So, and I guess this brings me back to back to confidential computing again. You know, one of the uses of that technology, and it's not one where my firm is particularly focused, although we do look at this, one of the uses of confidential computing is, well, what if, if you've got a sensitive workload, maybe you're a bank, you've got your core banking system, you know, if you're worried about what would happen to it if it ran inside somebody's cloud, well, what if you could run it in one of these secure containers, in one of these confidential computing containers, where the cloud vendor, thanks to the hardware they're running on, could prove to you that they simply do not have access. Even if they wanted to, they cannot see inside. Even if a rogue employee tried to hack in, the hardware would lock them out. If you could be convinced by a proof that comes from the hardware that that's the case, you no longer have to trust the cloud vendor to anywhere near the same same extent. So, so net net for me, you know, the move of almost all workloads to the cloud just seems inevitable to me. Um, I don't find the security arguments against the cloud that convincing in general. But to the extent those security arguments are, are legitimate, and there is some legitimacy to, to them, the move to confidential computing, where all workloads would be um, would be run in this mode where the cloud vendor is locked out and all they can do is is run the workload, but not tamper with it or observe it, um, you get an even you get an even higher level of protection. And it's, it strikes me that this is just the inevitable way the industry will move. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people nowadays are very much concerned about their you know, privacy and security with regard to data, right? So uh, do you think data can be uh, shared openly without you know, compromising uh, uh, with regard to the privacy or security or uh, integrity? That's a really good question because the word, the key word there, I guess, is openly. Um, and so if I take a very literal interpretation of your question, I guess the answer is no. You know, if I share information openly, then by definition, anyone can see it and they can do whatever they like. But if I change that question and say, do I think data can be shared freely or widely or, um, or with third parties without compromising privacy, security, or integrity? Then the answer is an emphatic yes, because as, as we've just discussed, if I share that data um, using confidential computing techniques, then I can share it with one party, 10 parties, 15 parties, whomever it might be. But when I share it, I'll be sharing it in an encrypted form, and it will be encrypted under a key that is known only to the algorithm that is going to process it, an algorithm that I have validated or is 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 is, is signed off by somebody I trust. So so yeah, if I stand at the top of a um, top of a building and, and shout all my secrets, then yeah, my privacy, security, and integrity will be lost. But if I share my information with lots of different parties, but each time it's encrypted in a way I know it can only be decrypted by a specific algorithm, a specific application, then suddenly I get those the benefits of, of information sharing, combining, you know, pooling and processing. I get those benefits, but without the, um, the worry of, of loss of privacy, security or integrity. So um, it's about how you share it and the technology that protects it, I think. True. And uh, how is R3 enabling digital trust, you know, in terms of uh, privacy and security in a regulated market? Um, so um, I guess this this brings the whole, um, I guess, the whole discussion together, I guess. So, um, so, so, so first of all, what do I mean by digital trust? You know, my, you know one, one way of, of, of thinking what that is, is um, how can I, 
how can I be sure that something is is true, has the right provenance, is correct, or that if somebody says they'll do something, they will do it? So, so how are we how are we helping enable this digital trust? Um, well, um, with Corda. Uh, Corda allows me to know that when I look at some information on my computer, it allows me to know for sure that what I see is what you see. And by that, I mean, you know, if, if you and I should have some data in common, platforms like Corda, enterprise blockchains, allow me to trust that what I see on my system is the same as what you see in yours. So it's about giving me that assurance and, and confidence that things that should be synchronized are synchronized. Um, and that's a very strong form of digital trust because it means I can, I can make decisions, I can act, I can, um, you know, I, I can move with, with, with speed based on the information I can see because I can trust it's correct or it's consistent. Uh, and then the other, the other side of digital trust is how can I be sure that if I send information to somebody else, how can I trust that they won't misuse it and they'll only do what they say they will? And that's where confidential computing and conclave comes in because that allows me to know in advance that this is what the other side says they will do with my data. And then the confidential computing proof gives me confidence that that is exactly what they will do and nothing else. So I can trust my data will be protected and processed as I expected. Um, so, so they're the different ways we're delivering digital trust in my mind. Wonderful. And uh, since your company is almost, you know, uh, cloud-based, so how do you the uh, how do you actually see the future of industries in terms of you know cloud computing? And uh, you know, according to you, what industries might get transformed, you know, with the help of private cloud computing? Well, it's, it's a good one, and, and and specifically confidential computing in the cloud, I guess. So, so you know, what are my planning assumptions? I guess you know, what do I assume will be the case? So, so my assumption is ever more workloads will move to the cloud. Um, the 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 impact of the internet is you know, is is one way, and it's relentless. You know, we will get ever more connected. More and more systems will will spring to life. More and more systems will be connected, sharing data, um, and um, and adding value as a result. And therefore, the need to know how that data is being processed and be able to control it is is going to be. Uh, it will just only ever get greater. So 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 my sense is um, this is coming. The 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 days. So you asked about the future. Well, let's look at today. Today, it still amazes me that that story I told about the last 20 years is still true. When I share information with a third party, I just share it with them. And I just hope that they'll they'll do what they say. I just, I just hope I can trust them. In very not many years, in very few years, confidential computing will have rolled out. Um, you know, data will not be shared like that. It will be shared in a way where you know what will happen to it or, inf- or workloads will be locked down so that they can't be tampered with. You know, those things, it's just inevitable. It's just a question of how quickly people deploy them. We will look back on this year and we'll look back in horror. We'll say, what were we thinking? We were sending this information like just like across the internet and, and, and there were no controls on what the, f- the firm on the other end could do with it, except you know, what was written in the contract or the law. There were soft controls. There were no technological ones. You know, we'll, be, we'll, be, we'll be horrified at what, what our today selves were doing when we look back on ourselves in the future. So we kind of owe it to our future selves to understand that this technology now exists and start thinking about how to apply it in our own businesses um, because the um, you know, it's coming. And the question I, I have for everybody who's like in a leadership role is, well, it's coming. 
do you want this to be something that happens to you so your competitors get there before you and suddenly you don't have a data privacy story? Or is it something that you should grab, exploit and get the benefit of before it becomes a commodity? That's amazing. And, you know, what is your piece of advice to the uh, budding leaders, you know, planning to step into the cloud computing or uh, data security space? Um, so I guess it depends on what kind of leader you are and, and your background. So if you're a if you're a technologist, my advice would be make sure you understand um, uh, and can get you know, make sure you're briefed on confidential computing techniques or privacy enhancing techniques more generally. So make sure you understand it and are are um, are aware of it because my suspicion is the drive for this is going to come from the business. So one day you'll be asked by your business counterparts. For, you know, why is it that your data isn't protected when you send it to somebody else? Why is it that your workloads in the cloud haven't been locked down? Um, and you know, they'll be asking you and you better have an answer. So make sure you understand the, 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 the coming wave of confidential computing and privacy enhancing technolo- technologies. But at the same time, um, if you are at the cutting edge and, and you're a leader in your organization, a technical leader, and you understand this stuff, um, you know, don't think that talking about those technologies to the business will lead to a good outcome. You know, it's just technology at the end of the day. Um, so think in terms of you know, what is the business benefits? You know, what, what business risks does the firm currently have because its data is not protected when somebody else is using it? And think in those terms. And if you're a business leader, um, then the question you should ask yourself is, if one of your competitors next week announces a competing service to one of yours, where their competing service can prove to its customers that their data cannot be read, cannot be stolen, cannot be misused, that that their data can only be used for the service they're paying for. If your competitor launched a product that did that next week and then started started comparing their service that protected their customer's data to yours, where you in principle have access to everything, how would you respond? Would you be ready for it? Um, and, and what would it mean for your business? Because at some point, all data will be protected in use. But before all data is protected in use, there will be winners and losers as those who understand this technology and can, and can, can, um, can exploit it will have a huge window of opportunity where they can steal market share from the um, from the slower competitors who can't offer that protection to their customers. So there'll be a wholesale move of business from the the those who fail to adopt the technology to those who realize um, that that's the way the world is going. So get ready for it, understand it, and then figure out how to exploit it for benefit in your business before it becomes inevitably inevitably commoditized, as technologies always do. That's indeed, uh, you know, very insightful and very, uh, you know, uh, great advice for emerging leaders. And, uh, you know, thank you so much, Richard. It was really pleasure talking to you and learning about R3. You know, waiting to, you know, see even more innovative solutions coming up from your end. Thanks so much, Shivani. Thanks for the opportunity to um, to, to speak to your listeners and, um, and um, hope to speak again soon. Thanks again. With this, we wind up our podcast for the day. Stay tuned to Analytics Insight for more such interesting podcasts.